Greetings, SE land. This is Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler, here with another episode. Yes, another episode of Twig's SE Reflections podcast. This is episode 92 of a project that is racing its way toward 100 episodes made specifically for somatic experiencing students and practitioners and other helping care professionals who are investigating the psychobiological literature, somatic healing arts, the polyvagal theory by Stephen Porges, somatic experiencing by Peter Levine, organic intelligence by Stephen Hoskinson, and so many other wonderful, informative, psychobiologically informed therapeutic modalities that are out there. I am a practitioner and an advocate, consultant, and champion of this work personally and professionally. Here I am here to kind of encourage you and chat you up a little bit on some of the themes that go on and go into making our sessions more successful with people. Here for episode 92, I'm looking back over at joining, joining another comedy improv game called Yay Boo. It's kind of a great joining exercise and cursing in our sessions. Friend of mine, dear friend and listener and huge supporter of things SE, Andrea, contacted me this last week and she mentioned, she said, you know, all of your all of your episodes, they're so clean. It's good. It's good that they're clean. And yet it's true in our sessions, you know, sometimes other words come about and that's been on my mind. It's been something that I've wanted to touch on. And so this is this is fitting. It's also fitting because it's a little easier for me to get at this. It's a smaller subject than what has completely consumed my last two weeks, which was an episode on pendulation that I've been trying to get to bring out, and I just have found it to be unmanageable so far. It has consumed many, many a session, and I'll look to see if I can bring that out sometime before episode 100, but sure enough, episode 92 is going to be on joining Yebu and cursing. Well, it is true that these podcasts have been clean and kind of kept more or less away from the explicit language. That happens to be because I know that there are folks that listen to this show while they're driving their kids. And so I've I've tried to do my best to maintain some distance from that. This episode, as should be apparent, we'll probably break a little bit of that. Everybody hear me? Been warned? Yes. Well, the first thing to say in this about joining is that joining is, you know, it's just a huge topic. It's a huge topic. And I'm not going to try to get into being exhaustive about it here. But there is, there's a few things that we could bring out One is that in joining, you know, it's important for us to have some separation, some awareness of the difference between sympathy and empathy. You know, sympathy in the sense that you're feeling for somebody, you kind of, oh, I feel for you. You know, that's a hard situation you're in. You have some kind of distance, some sense of relationship and some sense of you care, true, but there is a lack of you taking on the feeling inside yourself and trying it on for yourself, having solidarity with it, trying your best, even though 
you might be in a completely different circumstance and situation, at least trying to feel, perceive, appreciate the challenge from the inside rather than as, say, like a thought or kind of an appreciation of this, oh, you know, oh, that's a hard thing for you. Instead, you'd kind of like to, whoa, man, if I was feeling that, like that would be hard. Appreciating that inside of empathy, inside of your empathic connection, your ability to feel inside of yourself what some resonant quality at least another person is feeling, that solidarity issue, as in client solidarity time, episode 28, this is this is a real dynamic in our sessions in particular because behind the scenes, and regular listeners will have heard me say this before, behind the scenes, one of the driving forces in our sessions that help the momentum build and spontaneity to grow and people become less protective of their expressions, of their experience, that driving force is partly maintained by, or built, by us giving over a somewhat regular signal that a person's behavior, their feelings, their impressions, their way of being makes sense. And that we can honor that in our in our offices, that people's upsets and their depressions, their excitements, their motivations, like we give them credit. Now, of course, we see some of that as being compensatory and in some cases in the way of a more authentic, fuller expression of a person's, you know, quote, true being. And at the same time, we do, we give over this kind of regular signal that tries to say something like your behavior here makes sense. In which case, our ability to be empathic with people's feeling states, their upsets and their pressures and pains helps to kind of signal, I can feel that too in some way, and I can appreciate that it's a reasonable thing for you to be feeling like that. And our ability to convey that reflective state is a prime mover in keeping our sessions moving forward so that people don't feel like they need to present to us in a certain kind of way, but instead can be more participatory with how they actually feel. Now, in that way, our ability to be empathic and empathetic and express some kind of related felt sense appreciation to our client's experience that can not only be its important, authentic self of appreciation and such, it can also be therapeutically relevant. You know, you can actually, and I'm sure that you're aware of this, you can use it in order to help guide your clients closer into their experience and therefore your capacity to be accurately empathetic of course, what they call empathetic accuracy, the more accurate it is, the less our clients will have to spend time wondering if we get them, the less they'll be confused by our responses of things, the, in fact, more accurate and in place our responses can be, the more the session can find its 
or, you know, the more the person's relationship to their experience can find its flow. And in fact, that will lead to successful sessions more often than being confused and trying to explain ourselves and et cetera, et cetera. So there's this funny duality going on where to be authentic, helpful, human, humanist, somatic practitioners, we're going to open our organisms, open our beings up to a more empathic response rather than the distant sympathetic response or the overly pitying sympathetic response where we're just kind of icky and too close or too condescending of, oh, I appreciate you're in so much pain or so distance, like, oh, right, yeah, you feel that pain. We want to instead have a certain kind of true felt sense relationship, not to where we let ourselves get taken over by other people's content and our own triggers to it, but enough that it affects how we pace ourselves and how we tone and how we speak and how fast we are and all of these things. Our feeling state influenced by our capacity to empathize, it's allowed to influence our sessions. At the same time, we kind of can be aware that it's a little bit like trickery. It's not trickery. You're not doing it on purpose in order to trick people. And yet the more accurate your empathy is, the more kind of spot on the amount of tension in your voice, the amount of pain in your appreciation of the situation, the amount of aggression that you are kind of resonating with in the person's experience, the accuracy of that fuels the session. It makes it so that there's less confusion about what's going on and the room can kind of vibrate with that feeling state. And as that feeling state is allowed to be in the room, people can let themselves be more participatory with their experience, as we've been saying. And in that way, it's, you know, it's technique. It's a feeling and it's technique. It's a feeling and it's technique. And when you start getting good at it and you can see that by leaning in a tiny little bit more and allowing your face to show just a tiny little bit more of your concern or upset or personal appreciation of the challenge, the more that your voice can actually sincerely acknowledge a person's exhaustion when you hear their litany of complaint and all of the challenge that they're going through and you you take it all in and you just say, that that sounds exhausting. The more accurate you are with all of that stuff, the more you help people kind of feel heard, feel a little bit more okay in their situation, feel less pressure to turn out of their situation, feel more permission to kind of be involved with that feeling state and see what happens next. And in that way, you can see that you might want to get good at that. You might want to get good at adjusting your presentation, at adjusting how much of your empathy you show, how much you hold it back, how much your own recognition of the 
feeling involved in this can be shared across the kind of boundary between you and your client. And some of that can come down to some amount of calculation. That if if you put a little bit more ferocity in your voice right here, they will appreciate your empathy and their anger more, and that will encourage them to be inside their aggression more at that moment. And so um, maybe I, I give you a caution that you don't get too good at this. You don't get too good at the calculation part, at the adjusting your presentation to find the right amount of reflection. Finding the right amount of reflection, as we talked about back in episode 15, is critically important and it keeps everything moving along, humming, just building its momentum. It's definitely something you want to get good at. And at the same time, we don't want to be so good at it that we lose the actual awareness of the raw, physical, felt sense triggers that tell us, oh, I'm being human. I'm empathizing with this person's feeling state, which has these qualities to them. And I can kind of picture myself, remember myself, sense myself in some similar situation, even just in their presence here and and can kind of have a resonant quality with that inside of myself, not just as the idea. It's important to keep the raw, visceral, felt sense relationship to that and not just be so calculated and contrived that you know exactly which face to put on so as to signal your awareness of the person's process. So let's not get too practiced that we miss that visceral internal sense of things. All of that though, it can be on the way toward getting very, very good at being able to draw out people's emotions. And being able to do that with our sense of empathy, our reactivity and our empathy, by being able to respond empathically, we can, say, increase the emotion in our voice so as to draw a person's emotion up, somebody who maybe has more expression to be had, more anger, more rage, but is supposing um, suppressing that, holding that back we might just put a little bit more tone in our voice so as to give them permission to have that tone in the space and then kind of resonate with that, feel some empathy with that and increase their own aggression. On That can go in several different ways. Into sadness, we can increase the sense and awareness and appreciation of the sadness. We can increase the appreciation of exhaustion and tiredness and even the sense of being overwhelmed. It's like, oh my goodness, that just sounds, well, it just sounds so overwhelming. Like to be able to put more, just a little bit more of those negative emotions into our reflections with our clients, whether it's just in our presentation or in our vocalizations or in both of them together, if we're able to give just a little bit more display of something that they have but are maybe holding back, it may give permission for those to be enhanced. On the other hand, in this kind of steering or priming or cultivating of emotions and and experience, by being able to like read our empathy and use the reflections of it with our clients, one of those might be to diminish activation. 
not in order to quell it, not in order to stop it, but in order to contain it just enough that a bit more authentic participatory appreciation for the experience could be coming through rather than just kind of the high charge or the excessive, you know, kind of flamboyant use of the feeling state could be going. We could instead, like if somebody's got maybe a whole lot of aggression going on in their voice, we would probably need to match some of that aggression in our voice. If we tried to stay super calm and simply note their upset, wow, I see you're really angry there. That could be really super agitating. It could certainly not be something that says, yeah, feel your agitation. So instead, we often don't just comment on people's experience, but we we give a little bit of our our voice to the empathic reflection of what they're going through. So it's like, yeah, mad. We're going to put a little bit of that mad in our own voice, allow some of our own expression to kind of note or ping their feeling state. However, we might sometimes match, but pull this down a little bit. Maybe while somebody is kind of over-expressing or having too much emotion or it's racing too fast, we might provide some of that reflection, but pull it back just a little bit, a little bit more contained, a little bit less so that we can give some of the signal, some of the signal of what they're going through, but not support it continuing at quite such a pace and such a range. These are ways that we can, and some of us do a lot, kind of help steer the session by putting more or less emotion and reflection in our behavior. A lot of that is driven by our joining that we're doing with our clients to try to help keep things moving forward and reading both in ourselves and of their state, some of that technique, being able to kind of see, I need to bump this up a little bit, or I need to pull this down a little bit, at the same time as just a feeling, just a feeling of, oh man, that's that's what that feels like. And mixing that all together oftentimes allows us to guide or yeah, there's, there's definitely some guidance there if you're going up above or below a person's expression state, but there's also a following that can happen here. And either one where we're guiding things or we're following things, there can be this joining that makes the session have this sense of f- flow between the different feeling states that are happening rather than an explanation all the time of, so what's that make you think of? Oh, what's that make you feel? Oh, how do you think about what you feel there? Rather than those being in place, we get to actually be a bit more involved in feeling things rather than thinking about what we feel when we feel things. Somatic experiencing, as they call it. Now, some of us are empathic savants. You know, we just have this kind of thing. Some of us have had it since the very beginning. Another person comes in the room and we instantly have some kind of sense that we recognize how they feel. And we can read our parents and we can read our siblings and we can read our teachers and we can always kind of try to make things feel different or feel better by trying to adjust our own behavior. Some of us have that um, just really ingrained and well worked out at a very intuitive level. Others of us, of course, are 
you know, we're human. And so when people cry in front of us, we feel the urge to cry too. When we see other people smile and happy, our faces do the smile and we get a little bit more of the feeling state of being happy. And those transactions, those interactions that we experience with other people, being very human and very natural, we feel the empathy of that. We kind of get the internal sense of our own like, oh yeah, man, I I feel the sweetness of that. At the same time, that doesn't necessarily make us like super, super, super accurate on how much to reflect with our clients and how, um, how much we have to put aside our other thoughts and expectations about what a session might do and instead take the opportunity to turn our attention to how we feel and how that might be a reflection or some kind of way for us to enter into appreciation of the client state, client solidarity. So of course we practice. One way that I like to do it and that I, I'm, I'm proud to say that I saw that Stephen Hoskinson do the same thing, although I think he got it from a different tradition, but it's this game that I learned in comedy improv theater called Yay Boo. The way it works is that in a crowd of people or a small group of people, a circle of people, you're going to go around and somebody's going to say something, something that they like or something that they don't like. Usually it goes back and forth. A random something you like, a random something you don't like. And going back and forth, the crowd listening is going to say yay to the things that you like and boo to the things that you don't like. Now Somebody says, I like traffic. Everybody in the crowd says, yay. I hate Sundays. Boo. I love the Milky Way. Yay. I hate going to bed at night. Boo. Of course, it doesn't have to make any sense. It doesn't have to be sequential. It doesn't have to have any kind of sensibility to it at all. It's just a joining game around the notion of, in this case, in in the theater games thing, being super, super, super big around your responses, either positive or negative, to people's stated experience. And like I say, I've seen Stephen Hoskinson use that inside of his trainings to good effect as well. Now, in our conversation around appropriate masterful joining, of course, this game is too big. It's too big to to say, oh, what are all the nuances? What are all the steps in between of when somebody says they don't like to go to sleep? How much don't they like to go to sleep? How much do they like to go to sleep at 7 p.m., at 8 p.m., at 9 p.m., at 10 p.m.? When's the dislike more? When's the dislike less? Earlier in the evening is better. Later in the evening is worse. Earlier in the evening is better. Later in the evening is worse. These are all nuanced questions that help you to get more accurate in your empathy of appreciating what the person goes through in terms of their relationship with going to sleep at night. And the game, yay boo, it certainly does not does not lend itself to kind of narrowing into all of those nuances. But sometimes by going super, super extreme, by giving a full body response, wow, that's amazing. Oh, meu Deus do céu, that's horrible. By giving permission for the wide out, huge ranges of things, sometimes we can play with the entirety of the range inside. And rather than simply, and this is the point, being ourselves, 
being just ourselves, we can appreciate that sometimes we have to grow our response away from just what our own response might be. Some of us have that sense of empathy. Everybody who's got a story to share, it kind of triggers something up inside of us where we kind of appreciate their pain. Others of us, we're searching, and understandably so. You know, it's like we're in our our personhood and we're in our profession and we, you know, our, our boundaries are not quite so porous perhaps. And, and we can feel with people, but we have to, we have to make just a little bit of an effort to try to appreciate what is it that this person is really going through. And in that way, yay boo can be super helpful of just being like, I want to just let myself get behind the excitement that this person feels. I want to get behind the gnarliness that this person is expressing and not in session are we going to do yay boo, but you know, you hear something on the news. It's like, that's amazing. Just let yourself just really ground out just how big that is for you. It's like, whoa, that is incredible. What good news. I know it's rare on the news, but it's there sometimes. And then on the bad part is, oh my goodness, that is, that is just so horrible. Want to be able to play that whole range, and then over time, we're going to find the just right amount of reflection that helps people feel that sense. Oh man, she really gets me. He really understands what I mean by that. Oh, he really understands what I'm feeling right now. I have more license to be able to feel that right now. So all that is a way to see that joining is kind of an allowance and awareness of your own spontaneous experience. Therefore, doing your own work, your own sessions is important because you want to be able to allow your own experience to happen in the moment and not have it overly influence the session, but have it inform what you're feeling and appreciating about the session so that you can reflect some of that back to your client accurately. The more flexible you are in your own organism, the more you'll be able to hear and see and and kind of respond to those things rather than being taken by them. So our own spontaneity and awareness of what we're feeling in our sessions, it's a big part of joining. Secondly, big part of joining is actually a certain amount of contrivance, not contrivance in the way that you want to be inauthentic, genuinely inauthentic, but certainly in a measured approach to how much of what we experience we share and how much we lean on, on what our clients are feeling, if we kind of bring that out a little bit more, or we hold that back a little bit more, or we become less interested in that or more interested in that, we adjust these things in order to kind of bring out the proper relationship and tone for our clients with their experience. You can see like there's a lot more rage in there, but they're trying to be nicer. And you might want to kind of give it a little bit more action, not too much, just a little bit more to get the next bit of there a little bit more to get the next bit of your a little bit more until you actually get to feel just how true that upset feels. And that can exist for every different kind of emotion and feeling state as well. You might just be right close, steering it, enhancing it just a little bit this way or that. And then that way, this is a skill and it's a contrivance. It's a therapeutic conceit and something that we can get good at. With that, we should probably say that joining is truly helped by having a Porgesian lens of things, a polyvagal lens. People express different kinds of behavior 
different feeling states are available depending on how their autonomic nervous system is kind of signaling. You know, so if the ventral vagal complex is working and there's more social engagement, that brings out a certain kind of engagement from us. When we see people in a sympathetic fight reaction, we're probably going to feel some of the empathy of their anger and aggression. We're going to let ourselves have more access to that and be informed by the fact that we can see them inside of that fight response. If we see people on the flight, fear, anxiety side of things, that's probably going to influence our therapeutic stance. You know, we're going to get more solid, more supportive, probably put more tone in our voice to lend more grounding to the situation. But at the same time, probably want to be permissive, allowing people to feel that fear, but not feed that fear by having it ourselves. So we're going to get more solid. Same goes if we're talking with people in freeze, that there's a therapeutic stance. There's probably a way that we're going to find ourselves relating. And it's partly informed by empathizing with the state of being in freeze, that you don't want more stimulus. You don't want more attention. You don't want more emotion that those things aren't available to you. You're already withdrawing from the environment. So the, the practitioner probably going to be a bit more empathic and respectful of the client experience by, you know, taking a bit more distance, a little bit more like a parallel play kind of thing, eyesight a little bit more scance, vocalizations, a little bit more spacious, a little less demanding, a little bit more distance so that a person can feel less pressure from kind of the penetrating therapeutic gaze. These different therapeutic stances can be informed by seeing where people's expressions are along, you know, the polyvagal map kind of stuff and seeing which subsystem of the autonomic nervous system is more or less directing their behavior, which is then more or less going to limit their feeling state and kind of place them into certain kinds of expressions and certain kinds of well, you know, things that they're oriented to, and we're trying to help them get more participation with that so it can get some satisfaction, some, your behavior here makes sense. Not that we're just trying to reinforce the behavior that everybody's doing. We're probably trying to reinforce some part of it that they're unaware of and that is less repetitive, less compulsive, more something like a genuine, authentic impulse that's probably kind of underneath what mostly has their attention. But that's part of the craft inside of getting to what we're interested in pulling people into, like, you know, what we're trying to help them do and feel. We have to give them the sense that this is a safe enough environment. And with that, we, you know, find that safety comes in those various different ways. People in social engagement feel safer when we're socially engaged. People in fight feel safer when we are giving a little bit of fight on their side. People in fear tend to feel safer if we're supporting them and giving them enough structure and safety so that some of that flight fear response can move through and notice when things change. And of course, with freeze immobility, there is this kind of sense that more pressure just makes people withdraw more, in which case want to be empathetic to that and give people more space. Different elements of joining. 
some of it deeply informed by our own personal felt sense experience, some of it informed by our therapeutic inferences and education, some of it just psychobiologically informed to help us know a little bit more of when we're on the map in relationship to people's nervous system states. Which brings us to the climax of this session, curse words. There are, you know, words in our language that they're they're kind of rude or they're strong, they're forceful, they're powerful, they're relegated, you know, they're proper some places and not proper other places. And in our sessions, it's kind of important for us to have some leniency with all of that. You know, I, I know that some of us, I appreciate this about some of you, very proper. I'm, I'm down with that, meaning that I appreciate that you have your way of being and you you might not curse. It's really true. I, I know many of you who don't curse. In, in private, even, a few of you don't. It's, it's, it's true. It's, it's, not, it's not just remarkable. It's just a truth that, um, that some of you don't do that. Some of your clients do. Some of your clients definitely, definitely do. And there are times in sessions when, you know, you get these different combinations. One, you get somebody who curses all the time. That's just how they talk. You get this other people who never curse, but that's, that's exactly the word, or that's exactly the feeling, some feeling that's inside some just really, really tough word, you know, some, something that's just super, super rude or sharp or negative or just some kind of thing that you just, you don't, you don't even want to hear uh, uh, on a podcast. And there will be times in a session when it's just like, if you say that word, oh my goodness, it's like, they get you. I mean, what do they get? They get that you get what they're talking about. You get that they get what they're feeling. You get that that this isn't just like the day-to-day pain that somebody's going through. It deserves something that stands out as this really fucking sucks. And I think you want to have some permission inside of yourself, no matter where you fall on the spectrum of you never use curse words and you do use curse words and you're like a sailor. It's like there's a whole spectrum and we're all on that as well. And there are times when you you want to make sure that you have permission to say something that you might not normally say, but in your empathic, resonant, in this moment, you can feel that that's the word, that's the phrase, that's the just the really shitty idea that encapsulates this thing that then just signals over to your client that, oh my gosh, in this moment, in this place, I am understood. I feel got. Appropriate and accurate swearing sometimes can be like a golden key to open a person's experience and offer up a tremendous amount of permission for them to actually feel that raw. Now, with people who swear all the time, if you don't ever swear, that might be a little strange. So you might need to drop in a swear word once in a while. But it could be true, actually, that somebody who's swearing all the time, this is a good example of needing to match some of their experience, but then display holding or containing back some of your 
reflection of it. Like with the aggression before, if somebody's just too aggressive, if you try to not show any kind of aggression, you'll be weird and affronting to them. So you'll want to put some aggression in your voice, but you might want to hold some of it back so as to not reinforce their over-the-top aggression, but in fact to kind of signal, right, we can be aggressive, but we can kind of pull this down a notch where it might be a little bit easier to actually participate with it rather than just be driven by it. Same with swearing. Somebody might just be like, swear word, swear word, cussing, cussing, you know, just foul, foul, foul. And you, you don't necessarily want to join in with that as far as I'm concerned, but that might just be a personal choice as well. There might be, in fact, I'm sure some of you, I can immediately see some of you in some neighborhoods and in some communities and in some social settings and even in some personality types that you are yourself or work with, that it's just like, yep, that's, that's just the language of the day and that's how you do it. In which case, just to say, if that's the language of the day, those words will have a harder time standing out with that quality of significance. So you might need to get that big drop, that big heavy, like, oh my gosh, I really get you in some paradoxical way, like even saying something super, super basic and clean so as to show the paradoxical or opposite nature and therefore display the genuine hugeness of an idea. If you don't get to have the curse word, as the standout thing, you might actually end up doing something the opposite of cursing in order to do the standout thing. And there are, you know, we'll kind of move over to the other side of the spectrum here, that there are clients that never, ever, ever swear and that would think that they should never swear or that they need to contain their feeling state in such a way that they they don't ever, you know, kind of have that, show that, be that frustration that would make them swear. In that case, not that you're maybe trying to get them to curse, but the day that they do, or the day that they giggle when you do, is a, is a kind of triumphant moment, because at least it's an expansion of the range of experience. I suppose that there's probably much more to be said about cursing here. The biggest thing that I wanted to get at was that it happens, we do it. People who have been through the bad stuff that happens, a lot of them have good reason to put down some pretty foul language, and your ability to let yourself be flexible enough to reflect some of that language and even perhaps to increase it or to hold it back just a little bit to show its range, maybe even to name the intensity and the truth of that which you feel inside of your empathy to the reality of just how fucking bad their scene is, sometimes you have to be able to lay that out. And when you do, when you do it accurately, that's like advanced joining that helps a person know, like, and trust you forevermore. That's professionally true. If they think that you're a professional goody-goody and you don't ever kind of break your norm or your professional decorum and suddenly you let out something that's as raw as, as all get out, suddenly people, people on the other side of the distress spectrum, then, you know, everything's okay in my life. They, they'll kind of thank you for your authenticity there. Okay. As usual, there is so many more things to say inside of this, but I think 
I think that hopefully gives you enough to hold on to and take off into your sessions and say, hey, where can I be a little bit more authentic with my feeling state here? Oh, how can I steer that just a little bit more so I can get the right amount of reflection? And how can I help this person to be more participatory and permissive with their own experience by giving them some reflection of what that experience looks like in myself? Because I too can let myself feel and express that a little bit back to them. Yes, indeed. I really do hope that you know I'm wishing you the very, very best out there. Okay, you take good care now. Bye-bye. And here's a tracking twig moment for episode 92. If there were a parallel universe where another one of me got to do something else at the same time that in this universe I'm doing something that I'm obligated to do, I am certain that this October 21st to October 23rd, I would be in Golden, Colorado, where Peter Levine is giving a workshop on therapeutic presence, therapeutic rhythm. That's what I would do. I would certainly get some kind of little bundle of things together, put it in a suitcase, find my way to a train or a plane or an automobile, and I'd make my way to Golden, Colorado. I'd probably sit in the front left side of the room, because that just happens to be a good angle for me, and I'd be on the edge of my seat. I'd be so curious about what he's going to say and what he's going to do and demonstrate, and, and I'd be hoping all get out of hoping that somewhere in there he would start waxing historical about his own ways that he discovered being more therapeutically relevant and resonant with his clients. I'm assuming like a lot of us that he had, you know, a kind of certain amount of humanness to start off with, but that he's cultivated it all. And at certain points along the way, he has kind of seen, oh, that's what solid, really attuned, good timing, therapeutic presence and rhythm are like and what it comes from. And I'd, I'd want to hear some of those origin stories of when it kind of hit him because it's it's fun to hear those kinds of things. That's what I would do. It'd be October 21st to 23rd. As it is in this universe, this one that I happen to know about, I'm going to be in the land of Oz. I'm going to be in Sydney, Australia, helping out with a beginning one training there with Joshua Silvey and the SE Australia crowd. And I'm looking forward to assisting down in Australia at that time. So I won't be in Golden, Colorado, but if, if I could be, I would be. Yep, that's that. <laughs>